following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Brad, um, and I love coming to Shaw Community Church. What an awesome church we're a part of. And um, I've just got to get this thing in the right spot, because last time I was up here, it wobbled, and you've got to, like, work it out. You've got to counterbalance. And um, so, you know, I'm just, all oh, that stage does that. So, hey, how good? Awesome. Oh, get my phone out. Don't want to go too long, eh? Amen. That's the biggest amen I'll get this morning. Um, so we're going to carry on this morning with our Sermon on the Mount series that we've been a part of. And I don't know about you, but... There it is. But I have been absolutely blessed by this series. I've been loving this series. I think when we ever get the opportunity to dive into the words of Jesus really deeply, the red letter words of Jesus, it's, it's actually an honor and a privilege to unpack that. And you know, Matthew 5 through 7, we've, we've read the scripture, these scriptures, the Sermon on the Mount, probably time and time again for those of us that have been walking with God long enough. But it's funny how things can still jump out at you that didn't jump out at you before. It's almost the more you read it, the more it speaks to you, right? And so it's, it's, it's something we get to do as we dive into, a, into the series. And if you were here a few weeks ago, I don't know if Todd Funk's in the room, but Todd Funk used an analogy of the hedgehog. And if you're driving down the road, you see a hedgehog, or even if you see a hedgehog in your back garden, you don't think much of it. But if you actually get out and have a look at this hedgehog, and you take a, you know, a close look, you start to notice things you didn't notice before about a hedgehog. And actually, if you get too close what will it do? Give you a bit of a prick, right? And I'm hoping that this morning as we read the word, that'll happen to us, that we will get stirred, that we will uh, be sharpened, and that it might get a little bit uncomfortable. Um, And that's a good thing, because it's uncomfortable for me at times. So um, this morning, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 5, verse 33 to 37, and um, the scripture today is talking about oaths, vows, promises, that sort of thing. And I'm actually going to get one of our awesome rangatahi, one of our awesome youth to get up and share the word this morning. So, Mr. Cade, this is your moment, mate. Um, come on up, bro. And just read from, read from there. Yeah. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must, carry, you must carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. Do not say by the earth, because earth is God's footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head, for you cannot turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes or no. Anything beyond is from the evil one. (laughs) I better get the clap like that at the end. Awesome, Cade. Cade is an awesome young man, very talented athlete. He was a... I was very blessed to go down to Easter camp with the crew um, as one of the youth leaders, and Cade led the football team to glory. We won the Social Football League, Shaw Community. His name's etched in Easter camp history, 3,000, 4,000 people, and we managed to get on the, uh, on the top. And I think the netball team came second. Yeah. 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 So um, the, the future sports department of sports ministry of uh, Shaw Community is in safe hands. Um, so good. Thank you, Cade. Awesome scripture, and I think you can all agree with me this morning that we live in a world where um, 
being someone of your word maybe isn't as valued as it used to be. We live in a world where, you know, either yourself have been a part of breaking a promise or not keeping to your word, or certainly someone has broken their promise to you or, or not followed through with what they said they would do. I feel like if I'm the only one that's had that experience, I'll be very, very surprised. You know, we live in a world today where we kind of expect sometimes to be let down by, by someone or by a situation. And it's funny, right at the start of the Sermon on the Mount series, Reuben was speaking in the Beatitudes, and I think it was the first one or the second one, talking about mourning our sin. And he talked about us, how we can sometimes be a bit blasé with our sin. I like that word, blasé. We can kind of be a bit laid back, relaxed. We don't think too much. You know, it's not that big a deal, or, you know, oh, you know I'll, I'll, I'll sort that out at some point. But, you know, well, Jesus did die on the cross for, for a certain reason. Eh? Um, so it is a bit of a big deal. But I feel like with this passage this morning, talking about oaths and vows and promises, that we, we can kind of be a little bit blasé with this passage. You know, it's nestled in amongst these huge topics like murder, adultery, divorce, uh, anger, you know, and then there's just this little topic just, just nestled in here, and it's kind of, we kind of might approach it with a little bit of a laid-back attitude. I know I certainly did when I read all these big topics, and then it's the vows topic, oh yeah, that's all good, I'll get that, you know, but it's in the Sermon on the Mount for a reason. Out of all of the topics of the moral law, the ceremonial law, this, the history of Scripture that Jesus could have talked about, he decided to bring this one up, and Jesus is very intentional with his words. Jesus doesn't bring something up for no reason. So f- for me, it's, it's time to really look at it and go, well, what's he trying to say here? Because it can be really easy to misinterpret, and I'll get to that in a minute, because context is everything with this scripture. And In fact, scripture itself has lots to say on the idea of vows, promises, and what's God's opinion of those who break them. Deuteronomy. Actually, I won't do that one. I'll do this one first. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 4 says that when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. Echoed again in Deuteronomy 23 verse 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, again, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. In Romans 1, Paul, he's listing kind of the fruits of those that have potentially walked away from Christ or not walking with Jesus the fruits of the unrighteous, and he lists these big ideas, these big things he talks about, you'll notice that they are, where are we? Murderers, envy, hate, disobeying parents. Some say they mean. Um, and in the middle of that, when he's talking about the fruits of those that aren't walking with Christ, he says, promise breakers, people do not keep their word. So scripture has a lot to say about, about oaths and promises. It's not just nestled in here as a, as a one-off. And it's at face value, when I first read the scripture years ago, I, I, I definitely misinterpreted it. A few years later, it changed my life, this scripture. Reuben doesn't know anything about this, and we'll get to that later. I'll share a bit of my testimony with the scripture later. But at face value, it can be easy to kind of misinterpret, and the Pharisees definitely did that. And I just want to start with what the scripture is not saying. When it talks about, um, you must not break your vows, do not make a vow. It's, it's not saying that, if you were to get called into the courtroom tomorrow because you witnessed, say, a murder or you witnessed a crime, and the judge puts you onto the, uh, what do you call that thing? The stand, yeah? And he says, all right, I don't know what the line is, but it's in every movie. Do you swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, only but the truth? Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. Um, I'm pretty sure, do they even, do they have a Bible in courthouses these days and they swear on this? I don't know. Um, but you're not going to get up there and say, oh, well, look, um, I can't actually make an oath. Matthew 5, it says this, so I can't actually... 
I can't actually help you today, even though I saw what went down, you know? What would it mean for marriage? Get up to the altar, you got the bride and the groom, and you have the celebrant, and you know, it's time for the vows, what are you going to say? I can't make a vow, sorry. <laughs> but trust me, I, I love you. That's not what's happening here. In fact, God himself was an oath maker. God himself made promises. We all know that. In Genesis 9, he swears an oath not to send another universal flood. In Luke, he swears to send a redeemer. And in Luke again, he swears to raise that redeemer from the dead. And we know God's a man of his word because he did just that. So when he even actually, I think I've got a scripture up here. I've got Hebrews up here. We all know this promise to Abraham. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. So the issue is not that surface-level promise, promising. Something much deeper is going on in the Scripture here, and Jesus really gets into it. And I think what he's speaking to is trustworthiness, integrity, honesty. That as followers of Christ, we should be taken at our word, and that an oath shouldn't actually be needed to back what we say. Our words should be enough. And Jesus is referencing some of these particular oaths here um, for a very specific reason. And it's because the Pharisees, they got a bit sneaky, got a bit clever, and they started to twist things. And they moved away from kind of the, the heart of oath-taking, which is, you know, it's, it's a hard issue. And they started to get into the logistical, it's not the word, the formula side of things. They started to look at the formula. So let's dive into the scripture and, and look at what I mean. So at the start of the text, if you've got your Bible still, awesome. Um, it says that you have also heard that our ancestors were told. Now, just pause. What's he talk, what are they talking about there? Actually, no, let me just read a little bit more. You must not break your vows or oaths. You must carry out your vows you make to the Lord. So context, this isn't referencing one specific point in Scripture. This is referencing a whole bunch of moments in the Old Testament where Moses in particular would talk about how we should be making these oaths to the Lord. One of them is in Numbers 30. He says, Numbers 30 verse 2, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, mouthful, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So that's the context. But what the Pharisees did is they misinterpreted that, and they didn't see that making an oath and breaking it was an issue of perjury, which is where you swear falsely, when it's when you lie, essentially, or you twist the truth. They saw it as an issue of profanity. What the Pharisees thought was that if we make a vow to, in the name of God and we break it, it's not that we've been dishonest, it's that we've profaned or blasphemed the name of God. So they thought, we well, you know what we'll do? We'll substitute the word God for other words that sound holy, and then we've got kind of this avenue to kind of be deceitful. We've got this, we've got this ability to kind of get out of what we say. We don't actually have to keep our word, because now our vow is no longer binding. Um, John Stott, who's heard of John Stott in the room this morning? Yeah, amazing, awesome commentator. I love reading a bit of John Stott. Um, in his commentary, he talks about how in Jewish tradition, if you had the title of a deity which is, in this case, God, in your vow, then it was, it was binding. Your word was bound. But if you didn't, it wasn't binding. And so, as I said, they would substitute the word God for words that sounded holy, things that you could associate with God. But for them, 
because they thought it was an issue of <laughs> profanity and not perjury. They, they, they were fine to, to kind of be a little bit deceptive and deceitful, and, and they would trick the people. And as that's why we see in the Scripture, Jesus is specifically referencing things like, don't say by heaven, don't say by Jerusalem, don't say by the earth. And he's doing this for two reasons, and, and Reuben has shared this before. Jesus is very intentional with his words and his metaphors. When, he, when he's talking about by heaven, by Jerusalem, by earth, he's doing this for two reasons. One, those are most likely some of the exact examples and words that would substitute God for in their vows. So essentially, he's talking to the Pharisees and he's saying, hey, look, I know you use the word heaven or the word Jerusalem when you make a promise to somebody or when you, you, know, you give your word in a situation. Um, I, I'm, I, I know these things. But he's also making the obvious point that, hey, don't you know, don't you know I'm omnipresent? Don't you know God is in everything? It says, heaven is what? God's throne. Earth, it's his footstool. Jerusalem's the city of the great king. And even in the, in the line where it says, don't swear by my head, you know, obviously the head is very symbolic in, in, in that time and, and um, holds great weight. But he's saying, can you turn one here, white or black? I did read that, had a bit of a laugh. I thought of hairdressers today. I thought, well, yeah, they could. But um, that's not the point. Um, God is in everything, and he's, in, he's omnipresent, and he has authority in all things. So for us to say, oh, we can get away with it because we haven't used the word of God or the name of God, he's just kind of saying, you're having a laugh, mate, you know? And like I said, this is obviously an important um, issue for Jesus because out of everything he could have discussed, he didn't just discuss this idea once. Later on in, in Matthew 23, and I'm going to read the scripture out, he calls out the Pharisees again for their twisting of their words. And it's in one of the woes to the Pharisees, if you've, if you've read that. And I want to read it out to you, because what it will show you is not only did the Pharisees start to twist their words so that they could be deceptive and lie and all these things, um, they even got their own rule wrong. They started to move away from their own formula, and it just gets so twisted and convoluted. You'll see this. I think I've got the scripture up there again. Matthew 23, 16 reads this way. Blind guides. Imagine being called a blind guide by the Lord. What sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. See how they've now moved away from their own rule that it's only binding if we swear by God. Now they're saying it's binding to swear by the gold in the temple. I think they're getting their own wires crossed. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind, for which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it, and this is God once again just showing how omnipresent he is, how he is in everything. Really sticking it to the Pharisees here. And everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. I think he's making it really obvious that when you twist your words, when you, when you, when you come up with these oaths and vows and, and, and make it, some are binding, some are not, you're swearing falsely. And what does it say at the end of the scripture? Anything beyond this is from the evil one, saying yes or no. What's the evil one? The father of... I heard that from the youth area. How good. Or maybe it was here. 
And I know I can understand this morning, um, we look at this and go, okay, this makes sense. I can see how the Pharisees got this wrong. But it's not like I'm going around making these great elaborate oaths and pledges. You know, if, when Reuben asked me to come and preach this morning, I didn't go, Reuben, I swear by Jerusalem and towards Jerusalem and on the donkey or whatever that I will get up here and I'll do it, mate. <laughs> you know, it's not like we do that today, granted. But I actually feel like there are some concepts and some ideas that the Pharisees were a part of and, and, they, and they did that we actually do do today. It might look a bit different in our context, but there are things that that we actually do. And I've, I've, made, I've made two kind of points on this, and I'll explain what I mean. But I think if I got those two points up there, my awesome team, I feel like that we can twist our words in ways that can allow for an avenue of deceit. I feel like me and you do that. Or maybe it's just me. And I also feel like that we today qualify, our, qualify or justify our words with promises or oaths. Some of us do that. When we give our word, we give it with a promise or an oath. When Jesus is going to go on to say, just say yes or no, and I'll get to that. But we do that today. What do I mean by that first point? We can twist our words in ways that can allow for an avenue of dissent. Teacher. Larry. I hope there's no Larrys in the room. If there is, don't worry. Just an anonymous name. Larry, where's your homework? Bane of my existence as a teacher. Friday spelling. I don't know what it is, about 10 spelling words that they can't bring to school, but it's okay. Larry, where's your homework? Larry responds, oh, uh, Mr. Mr. Og, I, I've left it at home on the kitchen table. I'm really sorry. It's on the kitchen table. I could just put it in my bag and bring it tomorrow. I've just, I've just left it on the kitchen table. Now, you'd hear that and be reassured. Okay, cool. Little Larry will bring it in tomorrow. What Larry has neglected to mention is that it is on the table. He didn't, you know, told half-truth. It's on the table. He could put it in his bag tomorrow. He didn't say anything about the fact that he hasn't started it hasn't touched it, you know? We do that, don't we? Someone might ask you, hey, what are you doing on Friday night? To your face, and you know you've got no plans, but your response might be, oh, you know, they invite you to a barbecue, I don't know, and your response might be, oh, look, that sounds awesome, let me just check my calendar and get back to you, knowing full well that getting back to them later means a text that says, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> it's, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but what it is, it's, it's just this pathway we're opening up, that we can sl slowly start being a little bit deceptive. It might sound harmless, but we do that, don't we? I have a really recent example from my own life, and I'm bearing my soul here to share this example, but, um, and Ruben might not let me get up here again after, but it's all right. We recently had an Easter camp, and it was awesome time. We had a great time. Honestly, can I just say, side note, our youth are awesome. They're an awesome bunch of young people, and, um, you know, we have an awesome leader, and, and Katie, and you know, this camp we had like, I don't know the numbers, but we had a whole bunch of young fellas give their lives to Jesus, a whole bunch of young people recommit their lives to Jesus. It was an awesome time, so thank you for your prayers, and, and thank you for what you as a church have sowed into our young people. I mean that. You guys are awesome. But we had an awesome camp, and you know, so that was obviously the highlight, Jesus doing his thing. But there was another highlight of camp, and it wasn't the football, and it was, uh, it was a great controversy, actually. It was the water bottle gate. I don't know why, but, and, and you know, when they talk about um, controversies, they use the word gate at the end of it. Um, you know, like the deflate gate. It's when Tom Brady deflated a whole bunch of uh, NFL balls in, an, in, in, a, in a final, and, you know, the deflate gate. There's the water gate. I don't know what that's about. Something in America. I can't know. The water gate. We had the water bottle gate. And so what happened was at camp, and I promise I'm not just rambling and sharing a story that has a point. 
But we were at camp, and I noticed day two, some of the boys, and don't worry, no names shall be named. You are safe, boys. Um, I know some of them are probably thinking, no, 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 I want the glory. God gets the glory. Um, so we had a couple of lads grabbing extra water bottles with their lunch and dinner from the food tent. And by day three, we, we kind of accumulated about 15 water bottles. And, um, oh, it's fair enough, you know, you get dehydrated, you need a bit of water. When you're a youth leader, you can get a bit carried away. And I got a bit carried away, and I said, boys, I bet you a packet of sherbet fizz, or something like that. Sherbet fizz, each, it was each, wasn't it? Gosh. That you can't get 120 water bottles by the end of camp back to the hub. And I had to count them at the hub. That was my, you know, I dangled the carrot of sherbet fizz, thinking, you know, they might get to 40. It's not, it's just a little bit of fun. They probably think, oh, what a dumb bet, Brad, like, I don't care. Can we get the next picture? There is close to 200 water bottles in that picture by Saturday. So they definitely went, went for it. They were coming back carrying crates of water and like they were sending some of the girls to go back and get water from them from the second meal. It was just, it was got out of hand, to be honest. But I instigated it and um, kind of encouraged it as I went along. So did the other youth leaders, but you know, that's okay. And um, Sunday morning, I get a text from one of my friends who's on site security, site safe. And says, hey, mate, we've done a like, kind of look around the camp and we've noticed, you know, they're doing like a sight check to make sure everything's fine. We've noticed this tent is open and all these water bottles are in there. We're going to come and have a chat with you and your crew. I thought, oh, my gosh, okay. So they came over and, uh, and, we, and I, that Saturday, I think it was a Saturday night, I said to the boys, hey, guys, we've got to kind of slow down a bit here. You know, I kind of, I didn't realize they'd gotten that many and I looked and I went, oh, my goodness, they've actually eclipsed my target. And so I... SightSafe came along, and I, I went up to speak to them, and, and I said, hey, guys, look, I'm sorry. And they're like, yeah, mate, look, you know, it's not on, mate, really. It's just, you know, we, you, you kind of think about all the other campers. Fair enough, totally fair enough. And then I had a moment where I intentionally twisted my words and was deceitful. I did repent, I promise. But I, I twisted my words to protect myself, the embarrassment that I had actually started this. And I said, look, mate, I totally agree. And look, we sp- I only really found out about it last night. And we've had a word with them. It's not on. We'll, we can talk to the boys again. What I obviously forgot to mention was that I instigated it and encouraged it the whole way. Right? <laughs> but I was intentionally deceitful to protect myself. I didn't want to get called out for the one that started this whole thing. But I twisted my words in a way so that the people in site security saw me as the angel that's trying to like wrangle these guys. Um, when really I was the, the devil on the shoulder going, get the water. Um, but that was me being deceitful. Might not sound like a big deal, but to me it is because it's dishonest. It's not showing integrity. Um, the best part of the whole story is that the site safe team made the boys walk 200 water bottles back to the food tent through the village in front of everybody. Um, that was golden. <laughs> but we do that, don't we? We might twist our words at times, even if we think it's not a big deal. And on my second point, where we qualify or justify our words with promises or oaths, we do that too. Because the greater meaning of the scripture is, is not about necessarily our words. The point he's making is that honest people do not need to resort to oaths to convince others. That honest people say what they mean, mean what they say. John Stott, once again in his commentary, puts it this way. Have I got that, that 
that flying up. This, when I read this, it kind of got me in the heart a bit. Swearing or oath-taking is really just a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. Let's do a bit of self-reflection for a minute. I wonder how many of us in the room this morning find ourselves making a promise when you give your word. You know, yeah, I'll promise I'll be there next weekend. Oh, don't worry, I trust me, I'll be there. Believe me. Start to have a think. Why do we have to qualify, yeah, I'll be there with a promise? Or maybe, as is in my case, and I'll share my testimony shortly, when you say, yeah, I'll be there, yeah, I'll do this for you, yep, I'll help you out, and you get met with, are you sure? Are you sure? What does it tell you? What does it tell us? That in the past, potentially we haven't been people of our word. Maybe we've been a little bit dishonest. Maybe we haven't followed through with what we say. And so now we find ourselves in this bit of a rut where we have to kind of qualify our words with a promise or a no. But what Jesus is saying is we don't need to be doing that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And as I kind of, just this last line here, that let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do you know, I just love how simply Jesus puts that. What's the way out of getting into this cycle of twisting words and making promises to kind of convince people that we mean what we say? Just start saying yes. And, and I think this will bring some freedom to some of you in the room this morning, start saying no. The power of no is a powerful thing. Notice the scripture doesn't say, you know, don't, don't make these O's, blah, blah, blah. Just say a simple yes. It doesn't end there. I don't know how many of you have seen this movie. Yes, man. Um, anyone seen it in this movie, in the room? Yeah, a few of you. I wouldn't recommend it at large at times, but I think you're either a Jim Carrey fan or you're not. Hey, I've, I've noticed that about people. You either despise the guy or you love the guy. There's kind of no middle ground. I love the guy. But this movie is essentially this guy who says no to a lot of things. He, he's kind of in a, people would ask him, do you want to come out to this? Do you, want to, do you want to do this thing for me? Can you help me move this thing? And he'd always say no. He goes to this conference sort of session, the power of yes. And he starts to say yes to every single thing, no matter the consequence. He thought he kind of misinterpreted the whole thing. He thought that's what he had to do. And it gets him into some pretty awkward situations. And sometimes we can feel a little bit like yes man over here, you know? We feel like we can't say no to people. Maybe you're like me and you, 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 you like to you know, be a bit of a people pleaser and you feel like saying no is actually letting other people down. But Jesus is clearly saying that, say no, I won't. It's okay to say no. Hopefully that brings a bit of freedom for some of you in the room this morning because I feel like a lot of the times we get ourselves into situations where we maybe have, not have to, but we are a bit dishonest or we get caught in the rut of saying yes to something we shouldn't have committed to or whatever it might be is because we didn't know that there's actually power in saying no, and it's okay to say no at times. It's not like we are intentionally deceitful or manipulative or anything like that because we want to be. It's because we, we get ourselves caught up. When the site safe security team came to speak to me, I didn't have the intention of kind of being deceitful to them, but in the moment I got caught up and I twisted my words, you know? And um, just before I conclude and land this plane. <laughs> um, I, I just want to just touch on one area. You can go to the next slide. Is there just a normal slide next? I think. Yeah. Um, one of the areas I feel like as a church, and I'm not saying this church in particular, I just feel like as a people when I say the church, that we can be really bad at saying, letting our yes be yes, our no be no, is when it comes to time. 
Can I just add that in there? Just add that point in there. You know, when, when, someone, when someone expects you to arrive at a certain time and is relying on you to turn up at that time or invites you to a dinner at a certain time, your yes being yes in that moment means turning up on time. And I'm speaking to myself here when I say this. Um, because what it is is when we're having integrity, when we're, when we're trustworthy, which is what the heart of what Jesus is saying is in the Scripture, it means valuing, valuing the time that someone set aside for you as well. Now, look, I understand we live in Auckland, so there's traffic. Oh, I get it, all right? Um, I understand some of you have got families and kids, and you've got to wrangle the clan together to get places. I, you know, respect to you guys. I understand that. But if you find yourself 20 minutes, 30 minutes late to everything, it's time to have a bit of a think. I hope that wasn't too much, but, you know, the hedgehog's pricking us this morning. Because for us, that's a matter of integrity by showing up on time. I'm not talking if you're a minute late, you know, don't, don't feel condemned. Oh, Brad said it, you know. Minute's not the same as a reputation of being late. I know Todd Funk, once again, not in the room, but me and him used to get, well, still do, get dumplings all the time. Basu Lounge, best dumplings around, if you know Basu Lounge. And um, I would, he was, you know, a good friend of mine, but also a good mentor of mine, and we'd always have heaps of chats about theology and things like that. But I would turn up 10, 15 minutes late to our dumpling session every time, you know? And he would say to me, mate, you know you're always late, eh? Started to hurt in here. But the heart of the scripture from, from Jesus is about integrity. Um, and it's funny, Reuben gave me this message and he had no idea my own story with this, with this journey. And so I wanted to share that with you before I, before I close this morning. For those of you in the room that know me, you'll also find this funny. Because if you know me, you'll know that I haven't, in my past, always been someone who's had great integrity and honesty. Not in a really bad way, don't you worry. But I was notorious for not following through with what I said I would. I was, <laughs> I was notorious at it. Um, I would, seriously, I would... Someone would say, hey, we've got this thing coming up. And I'd say, yeah, I'll be there. And then I would have no problems with bailing at the last minute. I had two nicknames, Build Up Bradders, because <laughs> I'd build people up and let them down, and Flake or Falake. I remember I was at a, at a stag do with my friends, and we all got given nicknames. And one of my nickname was the Falake. Um, and, you know, I laughed about it. This is when I'm a Christian, too. I laughed about it, but it actually kind of stung. It does sting. Even today, I, I, you know, the other night I, I sent a message to a friend of mine and said I'll jump in on their football team, I'll fill in for them. And he said, okay, cool, man, appreciate it. Don't be a flake, though. You know, Even now, that reputation sticks. It can be hard to shake sometimes, shaking, you know, being dishonest. And like I said, it was just a matter of me not knowing how to say no a lot. You know, And then I read the scripture, and I read, this was a few years ago, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that set me free big time. Because I realized that what I say is important. Jesus is obviously pointing out here that we need to be people of integrity with our words, but not just our words, our actions too. You could say you're going to show up for someone, but then are you going to show up? And I noticed that when I started to kind of be intentional with my words and be intentional with backing what I said, I noticed that integrity, it flowed not just into my words, but all areas of my life. And I think that that's the same for, for, for all of us. And you know, being someone of integrity, when you are integrous, that's the word, is that if that's proper, um, 
Sometimes it means consequence, accepting a bit of consequences for being dishonest or, you know, being honest, it can be a bit awkward at times. I know, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, I was, you know, outside my classroom gossiping with a fellow colleague of mine. Once again, gossip, not, not, a, not a good time. Bit of slander, actually, about our senior leadership team. We were just a bit frustrated about a few changes and we were talking about it and that moment, the worst person to walk past, walked past, it was my deputy principal walked past. And I did the two things you never do when you're gossiping about someone. Well, actually, I did three things. One, you should never gossip about somebody. But the two things I did is, one, I changed my tone and my volume of voice instantly. We were talking to me, yeah, I just can't believe, like, we have to always, hey, have you got that maths equipment for me? Because, you know, we've, we just, I needed a ruler for my whiteboard. Obvious as day, clear as day. And, you know, my principal came, and this is recently after reading the scripture and letting it soak in and kind of change my heart a bit. And uh, my deputy principal came in and said, hey, were you talking about me? Were you talking about us? And I went, yeah, I'll, yeah, we were gossiping about you. I'm really sorry. I accepted the consequence in that moment. And in that moment, you know, she laughed about it and praised the Lord. But that was just me going, you know what? I'd rather be having integrity right now than being be deceptive or, you know, I could have easily said, no, we were talking about maths equipment, which wouldn't have been wrong, would it? It was a half truth because we'd changed the topic to that, but it's been manipulative, been deceptive, my words. And so this morning, as the worship team, you can come and join me, um, you know, do your thing, sneak on up. I don't know if you've been picking up on the theme, not just today, but through this whole series, that these words of Jesus, he's not just talking about it from a surface level point of view. It's not just a behavior that we have to change in different areas of our lives. He's dealing with the heart. It's just so clear to me through the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if it's the same for you, but he's dealing with our hearts. And, I, um, and you know, it can be easy, I believe, to read through the Sermon on the Mount and feel a little bit burdened. It can be easy to come to church every week and hear, you know, uh, Reuben and, and, and Randall and Todd and, and the team speaking and, and unpacking these things that Jesus is talking about. And it can be easy for us to just feel the weight of all these behavioral changes we should be making or how to, how to behave, how to act like Christ, how to, how to be a Christian in this world. But when you start to realize it's about the heart, when you start to realize that, that Jesus isn't in the business of behavior modification but heart transformation, I feel like that'll set us all a bit free. You know, it's a game changer because what starts to happen is you'll go away from church today and you'll get yourself in a situation where you'll say, oh yeah, I promise I'll be there, mate. Look, I swear to you, I'll be there. And then your heart will go, ooh, ooh, why did I do that? Why, why, did I have to, why did I have to make a promise or an oath there? And what will start to happen is it's, it's conviction, isn't it? Your heart starts to feel as Christ feels and your heart starts to go, oh, okay, I understand. And I feel like it's a beautiful thing when we start to understand that the Lord's after our hearts, not the surface stuff. And I know that this, this could be a touchy you know, subject for some of you this morning. I totally understand that because for some of us, we feel like maybe we are in a bit of a rut where we know that people find us dishonest, where we can be a little bit you know, deceitful with our words and ways, even if we think it's harmless. And you, you even might be in this room this morning thinking, oh, I've got a bit of a reputation let me just encourage you, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. You can say no. And I don't know if you picked up on this, 
But when Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about, you know, being imitators of Christ. This is what my disciples do. So logically, that tells me that he is like this, which means God keeps his promises, which means Jesus is a promise keeper. You think in Scripture of all the promises of God, if God is telling us to be men and women of our word, do you not think that he is also then? That makes sense, right? And there are so many great promises of God for your life. And I just, I just really want us this morning, and I'm going to read a scripture to end in Romans 3. If you have your Bible still going, you haven't fallen asleep yet, um, turn to it if you want to, Romans 3, verse 21 to 20. I'm going to read this, and this is a, hopefully eases the burden a little bit when it comes to us thinking we've got to behave a certain way and copy all these things in the Sermon on the Mount when, it re- when we find out that salvation comes not through our works but through faith in Christ. But not only is it that, it's a promise a promise of God that he won't break. I'm going to read it. Romans 3. I don't think I put it on the screen, so I'm going to read it, and you can listen in, and then the worship team are going to lead you in song. Romans 3, 21 to 28 says this, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus was sacrificed, sorry, that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Church, that's the promise of the Lord this morning for you. And if, I, if, you, if you were able, I'd love for you to stand with me this morning, just where you are. All of us, we're going to stand because we're going to worship. Um, and I'm so glad that, yeah, get the stretch out, eh? You know? oh. I'm so glad that we can take Jesus at his word, that we can take Jesus at his word and his promises as being something he will follow through. Jesus is full of integrity. Whoa, just echo. Full of integrity. He even says in Scripture, that which we hope for will not lead to disappointment. And so this morning I'm going to pray. And what I would like to pray for is two kind of areas this morning. The first area is if you're in this room this morning and you know that at times you can be a bit dishonest, at times lack a bit of integrity, you know it's maybe something you struggle with, I'm just going to pray that the Lord would come into your life, bring peace change your identity, but also give you the ability to say yes or no and just give you a bit of freedom from that. Out of the cycle of twisting our words to, to you know, get away with whatever, I'm just going to ask the Lord just to come and change that in us. And the second one, it might sound a bit interesting, but I'm just going to pray for, for those of you in this room this morning that potentially feel, you know, little distant from God, whatever it might be, but you actually feel like the promises of God might not be for you. 
that you don't quite trust them. But I just read that, you know, salvation comes through faith in Christ. And you might be here going, yeah, but you don't know how much I've missed the mark. I'm just going to pray this morning that you would believe. And I feel like there are people in this room that might not quite believe that the promises that you read about in the Bible are for you. And I'm going to pray this morning that, yeah, the Lord himself would convince you that he loves you, that he's a promise keeper, that he died on the cross for our sin, that we'll be made right with him. All we need to do is confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that. There are people in this room, it might not be in the area of integrity this morning, it might be other areas that Reuben's brought up in in our uh, Sermon on the Mount series so far that you feel a little bit condemned about and you feel like, oh my goodness, because of that I'm disqualified. No, no, no. And I'm not just speaking to young people in the room. I'm speaking to everyone in the room. I'm not just speaking to Christians in the room who've been a Christian for six months to a year. I'm even Christians in this room who's been Christians for a long, long time. And for a long, long time, you might not have kind of fully believed that what God says in this word, in this book, is for you. Yeah. If you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes. I'm going to pray and see what happens. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this room right now, into every life, every age in this room. And I just pray right now for your spirit of freedom and peace to come. God, I pray for those in the room like myself who have struggled with integrity or, or, or find themselves uh, getting in little ruts where we twist our words and aren't always full of integrity, I just pray right now that you would release us from that identity, that you'd bring freedom to our words, that God, you would give us the self-control to say yes and to say no at the appropriate times, and that God, we would just cling to that, that we stick to that and just start saying yes, start saying no, and, and, and let you change that identity in us. And Father, I also just pray for those in the room this morning that don't quite believe you. They believe you're real, God, but they don't quite believe that what you say is for them. How could it be, a sinner like me, how far I've missed the mark, how could it be that this applies to me? How can this be for me? And God, I pray right now that you'd release your spirit over those in the room and bring peace over those in the room, that this morning we would just know that, God, your promises are for us. And you, God, are a God of your word. You do not break your promises. You do not break your oaths. And I thank you that we can just fully trust in you, no matter how much we miss the mark, whether it's in the past or in in a continual daily thing. No matter how much we miss the mark, thank you that your promises are for us. If we would turn our eyes to you, confess our sin and come to you, Christ, you would bring freedom and salvation. Thank you, Jesus. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.